0: Good morning and welcome. Thank you, Brother Washington, for the reading of that passage this morning, a passage that we will look at again momentarily. Scottish poet Robert Burns, in the late 1700s, he penned a famous saying that I often find myself applying to my own situations in life. He said, the best laid plans of mice and men oft go awry and leave us nothing but grief and pain for promised joy. I find myself quoting that oftentimes. it seems, no matter, seems at times like when we plan vacations, when we plan business trips or affairs, when we plan retirement, it doesn't matter how carefully we lay those plans. They are hindered by things like weather and sickness, delayed flights, uh, uh, some know who, what I'm talking about and all sorts of tragedies. I mean if you just if you will just try to plan something and make sure everything is perfect you'll, ju- you'll find out no doubt just how things have a, a, uh, a way of just going awry no matter how how good we try to lay those plans. Sometimes it's a wonder that if, uh, that any of our plans come to fruition. I say this because it all underscores, in my mind at least, just how incredible it is that our God, He had a plan. And that plan, He had it before the, He even laid the foundations of this earth. It was a plan that would employ all of the host of heaven. It would need to be executed at just the right time. And it would be faced with unimaginable opposition. And yet... When it comes to God, the best laid plans of God do not go awry. And so today I want us, in light of this passage that was read to us a moment ago, a passage that has long been one of my favorites, it's rich with information to contemplate and applications that we can bear in our lives. With that passage in mind, I want us to look at this eternal plan of God. I want us to look at this passage together. This will be a, an expository sermon. We're going to take a look at every phrase and every and, a, and this, this verse itself is going to be somewhat of the outline of the sermon as we go through it and consider all the things that Paul said in this passage. And first of all, I want us to notice first what the man, Paul, says of himself. He begins in verse number 8, in the first phrase of verse number 8, by saying, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints. Let's just stop right there for a minute. Isn't it rather interesting to hear Paul speak of himself this way? I mean, he being perhaps the most influential human being to Christianity, saved the Lord Himself. I mean, he spent... Years of his life on missionary journeys, establishing and strengthening churches. The majority of the New Testament is is letters written by him to those churches. And we might ask, is this some sort of false pride that we're seeing here on the part of Paul? Why would he say such a thing? We find the answer in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 9. when This statement he made to the Corinthians answers that question. Was this false pride on Paul's part? Listen to what he said to the Corinthians. For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I I persecuted the church of God. Of course, we have also the account of Paul, who was also called Saul, written by his own companion Luke, which tells us about his past and the havoc that he made of the church, entering into houses and dragging out both men and women into prison and giving his consent even to their deaths, Acts chapter 8, verse 1 and 3. Now this is not false pride on the part of Paul. This is true humility. This is the words of a man who realizes his debt to sin. This is a man who realizes the grace that has been bestowed upon him by the one who paid that debt. To his protege, Timothy, he also wrote concerning this, he said, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he, was, he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and injurious. But I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, worthy of all accepta- acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world of sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit, for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him and to life everlasting. Please don't miss that last part there. The grace that Paul obtained is an example to everyone in ages since of the long-suffering of Christ. In other words, if a person like Paul, who persecuted Christians and put Christians to death and in prison, if a person like that can obtain mercy, and praise God, so can you and I. But there is also a lesson from Paul here as to the humility that one ought to have in response to such grace. Notice what he, how he, what he says of himself. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given. Are you content? Do you have such humility? Are you? Would you be content with being considered the least of all saints? Now, less than the least of all saints has already been taken by Paul. But would you be willing to be considered the least of all saints? Do you have the kind of humility that Paul exemplified here? But let's continue on in the verse and notice some other lessons. Let's notice verse number Eight, again but let's notice the next phrase he says "And this now, time he, let's notice what he says about his ministry is this grace given unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles you see Paul he calls himself in Romans eleven thirteen the apostle to the Gentiles but that appointment wasn't one of his own desire it was ordained from heaven The Lord appeared to Ananias in a vision and told him of Paul and said of Paul that he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and to kings and to the children of Israel. So it wasn't just to the Gentiles but the Gentiles first and foremost. In Acts chapter 13 verse number 2 the Holy Spirit directed the church of Antioch to appoint to their missionary effort Paul and Barnabas. Who would be going out into the missionary field into predominantly Gentile areas? It is, of course, all this has to do with Paul being a minister, his ministry being towards the Gentile. But there's something else that really warrants our attention more in this case, in this particular phrase, this particular passage, what he says about his ministry, and that again is his attitude. Notice his attitude toward the appointment. Paul was excited to play this role in the cause of Christ. He didn't compare his role to the role of others. He didn't seek praise or earthly reward. He was focused on what he saw as a grace or a privilege to serve. Do you consider your service to the Lord to be that way, a grace and a privilege? If not, we ought to pay more close attention to the example here of Paul and follow follow him. And also, if we consider the fact that he was a Jew... And one thing that we all know very well of Jews in the first century was that they were very prejudiced toward Gentiles. Perhaps Paul might have even viewed his ministry as a step down from, say, apostle to the Jews, which is the appointment that Peter had, Galatians 2, 7. But but there's no indication whatsoever here that that Paul considered this appointment beneath him. He didn't show any kind of envy whatsoever concerning the appointment of others. Again, he just considered it a grace, the fact that he had been given an opportunity to serve. Shouldn't we all consider whatever way we might serve the master as a grace or a privilege? But continuing on, there's much more that we can get from this passage. Please notice our third point, and let's notice what he says about the message he preaches. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles? What are you going to preach, Paul? The unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable. You know that word translated there, the Greek word translated unsearchable is only found two places in, in the New Testament. Right here in the other place is Romans 11.33 where it is translated past finding out. It says God's ways are past finding out. And so what Paul is saying is that the boons, the benefits, and the blessings of Jesus Christ are of such a depth that they are not able to be fully uh, comprehended or appreciated by our finite minds. They are unfathomable. They are incomprehensible. They are past finding out. Have you considered that? Have you, have you considered how great the blessings are in Christ Jesus? We, as we, may tr- we might try to list them and certainly we could come up with a leafy list of things that God, Christ has provided us. Justification, sanctification, and he has provided us with salvation for, repentant, for redemption and all these things we could talk and they would all fall utterly short of what we will ultimately find when this life is over are truly the riches in Christ Jesus. But notice what he calls next the mystery in verse number 9. He says, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. What Paul is calling here as the mystery is the plan that God had to save man. This plan was in the mind of God in the very beginning. Before the world was ever created, God already knew man that man would sin. He already knew that man would need a Savior or a Redeemer. And God had already worked all of His plan out. That plan... Paul also calls God's eternal purpose later on in the passage. It was a mystery because it was kept secret. It was, as is stated here, it was hid in God. That is, God knew it and no one else knew it. God didn't reveal it to anyone else. It was God's secret plan, if you will. It was forbidden from all mankind and celestial kind. Speaking of this unforto- untold plan of God, Peter said this, 1 Peter 1:12, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us did they minister these things. He's talking about the prophets that in times past spoke on behalf of God. Unto them these things were revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, that is our generation in Christ, that they did minister these things, which are now reported unto you, by them which have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. That is, the prophets, the, pre- the, the patriarchs of other biblical ages, they did not have a complete knowledge or understanding of the matters that they were speaking of. Neither did the angels in heaven understand these things, but they certainly it, it certainly had heaven's attention. Paul's excitement is this, that what was a mystery, what was hidden has now been revealed and he has the privilege to be the one to reveal that to the Gentiles. And so Paul was extremely excited about that opportunity. Now all can see what he calls the fellowship of the mystery or What what do we do when we fellowship? When we fellowship, we all come together. And so what he's saying is all the parts, all the little pieces of the mystery that were understood, they've all been brought together now. So now we have an explanation of the things that were not understood in the past. That things that men and angels desired to look into, now we can understand. It's as if they were before trying to assemble a puzzle, but they didn't have the the picture on the box. You know how important the picture on the box is to putting the puzzle together. They didn't even have all the pieces to the puzzle. And they were trying to put it together, but they could only get so far. But now, for us, now we have the picture on the box. And now we have all the pieces. And so we can put the puzzle together. You might say, well, how then do we put the puzzle together? Paul answers this. In the same chapter, if you'll just look back a few verses to verses 3 through 5, notice what Paul said there. He said, How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, wherein or whereby, notice, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets. By the Spirit. You see, friends, we can assemble the puzzle pieces today. We can put it all together. How do we do that? By studying, by reading the Word of God. It's all been revealed. The Holy Spirit revealed it unto the apostles, and the apostles have revealed it unto us by their writing. If we will just go to the Word of God and study, we don't have to worry. We don't have to say, you know, some people today even say, well, the Bible is just a mysterious book. No, the mystery has been revealed to us. We just have to study and come to an understanding of that mystery have you considered what a blessing it is being on this side of the cross to have the ability to see the complete picture and come to a full understanding of god's plan let's continue on in our last point this morning notice now what he says about what's been manifest or that word manifest and mean what means made known what, what has what Paul said has been manifest or been made known notice he says in verse, what he says in verse 10 and 11 to the intent that now unto principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord the mystery that has now been revealed was done so for a purpose what was that purpose first of all It was to unveil the Master's grand design to both heaven and earth. To satisfy all of creation's desire to know how it could possibly be done. How could a perfect and just God secure unto himself an imperfect and sinful man? All of heaven was leaning forward on the edges of their seats trying to figure this out. And now this is... Or the purpose here of God's plan. God now wants this to be revealed in the Christian age so that all of heaven and all of earth can see the understanding behind this. Secondly, so that all might see his glory. It says the manifold wisdom of God. Manifold being immense or infinite wisdom of God. When I think about this great plan and how long ago it was in the mind of God before the world was even created and how all the host of heaven was employed and how it had to be done at, the se- at the, just the right particular time. And not only was it oppo- would be, it be opposed by man all along the way, but even some of, the, some of the members of heaven would even be in opposition to it. When I think about all that and how the plans of mice and men often go awry, it just amazes me the power of God to see this through and his willingness to see it through. Thirdly, the purpose of this was to showcase the collective body of the saved, the redeemed, a.k.a. the church. The ecclesia is the word there in scripture. Ecclesia is a compound of ek, which means out, and kaleo means to call, and so it literally means to call out. It's usually translated as church or assembly or congregation. And so the ecclesia or the church is the body of Christ. It's the congregation or assembly of those who have been called out of the world, called out of darkness and called into His marvelous light. Those who have been translated into the kingdom of His dear son, Colossians 1.13. That is the ecclesia. And the ecclesia was in the mind of God. It was part of God's plan that one day through the church that heaven and earth the angels and human beings for all generations could look and look at could look at this institution that God created called the church and they would see the wisdom of God in it the church is the body of believers through which God is revealing to all of creation his infinite wisdom have you considered how important the church is to the eternal purpose or plan of God. You know, some have supposed that the church is an afterthought and that when the Jews rejected Jesus' son, that God used this as a stopgap measure or some kind of of temporary plan until heaven can regroup and perhaps send Jesus again and, and try to do this thing all over again. But how does that hold up in the light of the testimony that we've been reading here? doesn't hold up at all, does it? Some people suppose that they can even be saved and get to heaven outside of the church. How does that hold up concerning the passage we're looking at? Some people suppose that they can be saved without ever actively participating in the church. How does that hold up to the passage that we're looking at? They don't hold up at all. Friends, as we conclude, we have looked very closely at this inspired passage today. And by it, we've been given some exemplary characteristics of one of Christianity's greatest champions. We've also been, we have also been reminded of some great eternal truths. And so I want to commend these following applications to you from our study today. I don't have these listed on the screen, so if you're taking notes, you'll have to, you'll have to write these down. Lesson number, application number one, what do you think of yourself? What do you think of yourself? Do you have the humility and the conviction that Paul had? If not, then maybe you don't fully appreciate the state that you were once in because of your sins. Perhaps you need to be reminded of the debt that was paid for you, for your salvation. You know, Paul understood that the wages of sin are death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Do you understand that because of sin that you deserve to die? That is the penalty? Do you understand the weight of your sins? Do you understand what it cost? Do you understand that it was needful for God to have this plan in order to save you because of your sins? If you do, if you really truly understand that, you ought to have the humility that Paul had and you ought to have the conviction that Paul had. Lesson number two, or application number two. How do you feel about your ministry? Your ministry is not apostle to the Gentiles. That was Paul's ministry. But we all should have a ministry. What is a ministry? A ministry is a work or a program or an ability that we have that's being used to accomplish the overall mission of Christ. And what mission is is it of Christ? To seek and to save the lost. That was his mission, Luke 19.10. And so a ministry is a means to that end. A ministry can be something that's organized, a work or a program, or a ministry can be just an ability that you have that you're using to accomplish that. But we all should have a ministry. We all should be involved in ministry. Every Christian should play a role, whatever role that they can, in the continuing mission of Christ. And we use our talents. Or maybe in some cases we use our treasures. Or we use our abilities For example, some people have been financially blessed so that they can be big contributors to the financing of the work of Christ. Others have the ability to be teachers and preachers. Others may be good encouragers, good at making friends, good at comforting people, good at empathizing and supporting others. We need all of that. Are you aware of what abilities you have? Are you you ministering in some way to the cause of Christ? Whatever ministry you are involved in, does the end goal excite you like it did Paul? I hope it does. Remember, Paul's Paul's ministry was to the Gentiles. And again, as I mentioned, Paul might might have in the back of his mind, being raised a Jew as he was, he might have had some kind of prejudice he had to overcome there. He might have been tempted to think, well... Why did I have to get this terrible mission, this terrible ministry to the Gentiles? But we don't read anything of that sort from Paul. Paul was Paul just saw it as a grace, saw it as a privilege. Does the end goal of the mission of Christ excite you like it did Paul? If not, then perhaps you need to be reminded of how important that mission was to God. How important it was to Christ, How important it was to the Holy Spirit, to the angels that desired to look into these things, to those prophets and apostles that, that taught of these things and didn't even understand what they were talking about and they desired to look into. Them. As another lesson, a, for, a third lesson for us from this or third application, how much do you appreciate the blessings of Christ? Paul called them the unsearchable riches of Christ. How much do those unsearchable riches mean to you? Forgiveness of sin. Reconciliation with God. Eternal life. A purposeful and meaningful way to live this life. A comfort and hope that cannot be taken away from you. And many, many more things could be listed. Paul said we can't even imagine all the good things that are blessings to us from Christ. How important are those to you? A fourth application from our lesson today. How much do you appreciate the eternal plan of God? When you consider the resources, the manpower, and the time and cost that... that was put into putting into such a, a putting a such a plan into action. From an earthly point of view, such a plan would be impossible to execute. As we mentioned, those plans would go awry if laid by man. Does it not warm your heart to know that God so loved the world that He was willing to go through it all? Another lesson application. How much do you appreciate the Lord's Church? Do you realize? in this eternal plan of god the two most important elements were christ and his church the two of them you can't have one without the other and to neglect one is to neglect the other it is god's eternal plan that you be saved and that you do so by being added into the church in fact in acts chapter 2 we find that as people were baptized for the remission of sins, the Lord added them directly into his church. In 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, Paul says, By one spirit we are all baptized into one body. And so it's God's plan that people be saved by and through the church. It's God's in, in plan that you be in that institution and that in that institution you find the opportunity to grow, that you can find the encouragement you need, accountability and companionship, until such a time as that institution or that eternal kingdom will be handed up unto the Father. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 24 tells us in the end that will be the state of the church. What is now an, a kingdom on earth will be handed up to God and it will be an eternal kingdom that lasts on into eternity. A final lesson, final application. Do these things show... Do these appreciations, presumably, that you have, do they show in your zeal? Do they show in your conviction? If not, then I suggest that we meditate on this passage, on these things. Repent of our indifference and begin working with enthusiasm for the Lord. First, uh Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 says that whatever we do, we should do it heartily as unto the Lord or with enthusiasm. I commend this lesson to you. I hope that it's this passage is maybe one of your new favorites. As I mentioned, it's long been a favorite of mine. I've, for a long time, I've planned to put together a sermon on it, and I looked at all the lessons in. I said, I just don't know how I could cover it in thirty minutes. And I, I hope that I've able, been able to do that in, in a way that's been profitable to you. We want to end the service today with a, or we want to end this this lesson time with an with a opportunity to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ perhaps there's someone within the sound of my voice who haven't done who has not done the things that we have mentioned the things that Paul said that we should do perhaps you have not been added to the Lord's Church 1 Corinthians 12:13 says that we do that but that by one spirit we are baptized into the body and so we know it is through the process of baptism how? The Bible tells us that the blood of Jesus Christ washes our sins away. But Romans chapter 6 verse 3 and 4 tells us that those sins are washed away at the point of baptism. That it is through through baptism we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. And so if you're not a child of God this morning... Why not, in? The, why not before we close this service today, be added to the Lord's body? Have your sins washed away. The Bible clearly tells us that no sin will enter into heaven. And so if you have unrepentant sin in your life, if you've not been baptized to wash your sins away, it doesn't take a logician to deduce. If sin will not be in heaven, and you have it, you won't be there. And so take care of that sin today. This may be your last and only choice, the only opportunity to do that. If we can help you to do that today, won't you let that need be known as we stand in